0: You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down, or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm
1: Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Dr. Reverend Otis Moss III is the Senior Pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago. Dr. Moss has spent the last two decades practicing and preaching a Black theology that unapologetically calls attention to the problems of mass incarceration, environmental justice, and economic inequality. Dr. Moss is part of a new generation of ministers committed to preaching a prophetic message of love and justice, which he believes are inseparable companions that form the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a native of Cleveland, an honors graduate of Morehouse College who earned a Master of Divinity from Yale Divinity School and a Doctor of Ministry degree from Chicago Theological Seminary. He has a terrific book entitled Blue Note Preaching in a Post-Soul World, Finding Hope in an Age of Despair, which was published in 2015, which I have not have read as well. His intergenerational preaching gift has made Dr. Moss a popular speaker on college campuses, at conferences and churches across the globe. The work and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the pastoral ministry of his father, Dr. Otis Moss Jr. have been primary mentors for his spiritual formation. His sermons, articles, and poetry have appeared in publications such as Sojourner's Magazine, the African American Pulpit Journal, Huffington Post, Urban Cusp, and The Root. Dr. Moss is an ordained minister in the Progressive National Baptist Convention and the United Church of Christ. He is the chaplain of the Children's Defense Fund's Samuel DeWitt Proctor Child Advocacy, Advocacy Conference. He is married to his college sweetheart, the former Monica Brown of Orlando, Florida, who's a Spelman College and Columbia University graduates. They are the proud parents of two creative and humorous children, Elijah and Michaela.
0: Um, Otis, before we start, I wanted to share something with you because Cat um, is being induced on the sixth.
2: Oh, wow.
0: Okay. So our, our baby is, is just round um, the corner. So Congratulations. Uh, by the time- Oh, thank you. Yeah. And by the time this podcast uh, goes out, the baby will be here. So we're going to use this episode. um, I hope it's not too self-indulgent to share a little bit of personal news for me and even the name, if you're okay with that.
2: Oh, no problem at all. Now, it's, it's a boy, right? Or...
0: It is a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So w- we've been playing with, um, name possibilities. Uh, I- I've been, uh, advocating for, for traditional Irish names. Okay. Kat has assured yeah. me the baby will have a traditional Irish name. And I was like, really? And she's like, yes, McKenna, that's it. <laughs> um, I'm not, <laughs> I, w- I was going for poor or for Sean or okay. she's like, no, um, o- Aussies, we shorten names and, uh, we also give nicknames. And so um, so we were considering, um, Desmond, uh, after Desmond Tutu, who mm-hmm. I know is a um, huge hero for, for all of us. Uh, and we're like, is, is Desi what we want or Des? Um, <laughs> and we're like, well, it's a beautiful name, but we're not quite there. Um, uh, what else do we play with, um, uh, Bayard, um, in terms of Bayard Rustin and we're like oh, okay. that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but then it would be like Bay. Uh, <laughs> do we, we want to, um, uh, we talked about Oscar as in Oscar Romero um, and Oscar is also a, um, uh, a, an Irish name as well, a traditional Irish name. So i got like two for one in, in there, but then it's going to be Aussie. And as an Aussie, having what a child called Aussie, well, like, um, <laughs> uh, no Yeah, we, we we just weren't com- completely there. We talked about day as in Dorothy day and just um, day as a first name. Um, so they're the kind of things that um, we've been playing with. And um, oh,
2: yeah. What, what does to say? She's going to win out. So. Well,
0: I mean, she's doing all the work, right? So <laughs> um, she gets the final s- sign off. Um,
2: did, did Monica and you, did you, collaborate or did you we, we did we went back and forth on on names for sure and uh nice. some names that i i i wanted were didn't win out uh right. so. <laughs> <laughs> it was collaboration i got a chance to uh to, to make a few suggestions there we we we, we settled on a few uh, well your your kids have wonderful names oh thank you thank you yeah we, we, uh, have you heard Drew's right. kids' names?
1: No. What, what are your names? Uh, your kids' names, Drew? So my, my oldest is Micah after the Prophet. Okay. Um, yeah. Second one is Dietrich after Bonhoeffer. Yeah. And then the third one is Vincent after Harding.
2: Oh, come on! Yeah, okay. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah. Those are wonderful names. Absolutely. And, and I know that
0: you had um, Uncle Vincent as he always insisted that I called him uh, as a professor. Right.
1: That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Wow. I was just getting to know him um, phone conversations before he passed away. He was a
2: wonderful, wonderful,
0: wonderful, wonderful person. Yeah, totally. Um, So what we have decided on is uh, given our ecological crisis, the baby's first name will be Noah.
2: Noah. Okay.
0: Um, the baby's middle name, um, uh, as way of paying homage to two people um, I deeply respect, will be Otis.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> as in, uh, your dear father and yourself. Um, so I wanted to share that um, Noah Otis McKenna um, is our baby's name, and uh, to be able to share oh, that... Wait a minute, you're
2: being serious! You're yes, being, we are. Very serious. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I thought you were making a joke, man. Oh, I know by wow. your response that, that, yeah, is, yeah. that is really kind. Oh my goodness! I, so, I've got Monica know that. Oh, she's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna joke really hard. Um, she's gonna say now since your name baby's name is Otis, these are things you're gonna have to watch out for. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and
0: and um, if if you'd share with your father as well that um. There's a, a little Australian baby on the other babies? side of the world
2: yes,
0: that is, is carrying uh, oh,
2: wow, wow. His name. That is, really, that is really touching. Okay. Uh, wow. Well, you well, messed me up there now, Jared. Okay. All right. Oh,
0: good. <laughs> good. Well, um, thank you for the way that you've passed at us from afar. And, uh, I'm so glad that you've chosen this text after like recently hearing you on this text as a way of get going before, um, uh, we start asking you questions. Would you mind reading Isaiah 58 and then we'll that use I, that as our platform?
2: Not at all. Let me, I'll, let me pull it up over here. Uh, beginning with uh, verse 1 Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. From day after day they seek me out. They seek. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? We have, we have, (coughs) excuse me, uh, why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, uh, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself is it the only it is i'm sorry is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes is that what you call a fast a day acceptable to the lord is not this the kind of fasting i have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the Lord and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Isaiah 55 Mm. verses 1 through 10.
0: My Lord had a blessing to the hearing of his word. I'm so excited that you've chosen this text. Um, but I'll let Drew ask uh, the question that we try and get a little bit of backstory and do uh, hermeneutics by a biography. So Drew, do you want to start with our, our first yeah, question? Yeah. Yeah.
1: We, we love to just hear folks story. And so um, we would love to hear how, how do you remember first encountering the scriptures? Um, just kind of share a little bit about your early memory Um encountering the the scriptures and how you were engaging it at those early stages
2: well one of the my earliest memories of really remembering a a a story outside of the you know traditional sunday school and having uh a story but when it really connected i was in fifth grade Hmm. um i was about nine or ten it was revival and okay. there was a preacher by the name of Wyatt T. Walker, who was okay. a Bible <laughs> 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 Okay. <laughs> Wyatt T. Walker, this gentleman who would wear these very interesting uh, outfits, because here he is a Baptist preacher, but he would uh, dress in an almost like Catholic garb. Yeah. Um,
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know, as if he was, you know, a Catholic uh, priest or a monsignor or something of that nature. And he preached uh, talking about Elijah uh, mm-hmm. and, it's only a brook the brook drying up Hmm. and he related the brook to all things that were material Mm -hmm. and he he had this refrain do not forget it is only a brook
1: Hmm.
2: brooks Hmm. always dry up Hmm. and he went through all of these moments that are material and said it's a brook it is only a brook They, they shall dry up they shall never stay um And then he led it all the way back to talking about one's deep commitment uh, to God. And that literally was, I remember, that's like the first sermon I remember, like, remembering. Remembering. (laughs) And just, just, I remember that. I mean, that was fifth grade Hmm. and I was just completely in awe of, of what he said. And so I was at a private school. Uh, that had, And I was there for a year. This was for, for children who had uh, some challenges. Uh, my parents sent me <laughs> to this school. And I remember getting my mom was dropping me off of school at one day. And uh, I just really didn't care for the school and whatnot. And, and I was, was not making friends and this, that, and the other. I was kind of getting into it. They didn't know all the, the extent of everything. Uh, and then my mom said, as I got out the car, son, remember, it's only a brook. Mm. I never mm. forgot that. I, n- yeah, I mean, I just uh, never forgot that. And I said, okay, I can do this. This thing's going to dry well. So I was back at my regular public school next year. So I was like, it dried up. It's cool. It's all right. <laughs> um, but uh, it was my real encounter mm. with Scripture, uh, how Scripture shapes the world, how it allows you to see ima- in, a, in a very imaginative way
1: yeah. um,
2: how God is operating. And it was through this icon of the civil rights movement, who I did not know was an icon at the time.
1: Wow! Uh, Wow. I just thought was a gentleman
2: who had just been brought in to, you know, do revival, who was wearing a Catholic, you know, Monsignor outfit. (laughs) Uh, I was like, he's a strange dressing, you know, he's supposed to be a Baptist, but he's got, he looks like a cardinal or something. You know, I was just really fascinated by this uh, gentleman. And i had two encounters with him. That was the first one. And the second one was when um, I was much older, Uh, The true decision to tithe as a family came from hearing him do a revival on tithing. Mm -hmm. And when he explained the economic roots, uh, when he explained the practical roots and the spiritual roots of what can happen when a person tithes, when a church tithes, and when a community tithes. Mm -hmm. And it was the most powerful thing I'd ever witnessed uh, and heard. And then that's when Monica and I said, okay, we're doing this. As a family, we just got married. Mm.
1: Um,
2: said we are going to make this commitment even though we don't have the money, and we did. And after we did, two days later, uh, the exact amount that we had tied came in a check. Um, come on <laughs> <laughs> from, uh, from the state of Colorado. I was working with Vincent Harding, uh, mm. at, at Isla oh. at, at the time,
1: yeah. And
2: wow. at that moment, we said, okay, we, we're done, we're, we're going to do this. For the rest of our lives, because if you trust God, um, then all things will will fall into place appropriately. Wow! Wow! wow what a story! That's
0: phenomenal. And I find this um, fascinating. Uh, us pagan Aussies, um, you've used the term revival a number of times, and I know uh, that <laughs> culturally, that's a that's a very important like heartbeat and rhythm in in the life of um, uh, the churches you've experienced. it. would you talk a little bit about Um, that communal practice and uh, the expectations and um, what goes, would would you bring us into that world a little bit so people can understand that?
2: So within uh, American culture, Southern culture, especially uh, and Southern black culture, uh, you have what is known as the revival experience where you have three or four or five days where one or several uh, preachers and musicians are brought in every day, uh, to Mm. quote, revive the spirit, uh, to revive the soul. Uh, There may be a theme. uh, There um, may be several churches joining uh, together, and the community comes together, and you bring in a preacher, uh, usually who they could say can, can really bring it or really tell, tell the story, uh, there is a running joke about it. Uh, Y.T. Walker shared this, too. He said, usually when you have a revival in a black church, someone is going to talk about Daniel being in the lion's den, Daniel uh, <laughs> and the dry bones, dry bones. and there will be a right. sermon about, da- about David and Goliath at some point. Uh, was you, There's a retelling of certain stories that are incredibly familiar for people who come out of kind of black southern culture, mm. um, my church, was and, and Gilligan in, getting off that island, and Gilligan getting off. There you go. That's right. Coming to America, <laughs> and Gilligan getting off the island. Uh, <laughs> that was good. That was good, man. Uh, and uh, th- that's what people who migrated to the north um, certainly looked forward to because it was a marker of the year. So mm. you 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 set your calendar. Uh, for those who had re- summer revivals, or that may have closed the summer, that was that was one type of revival. And then mm. there were those that moved what they call the spring revival, which was usually post Easter. And so you had this liturgical cultural calendar that mm. was connected very much to uh, was connected to revival that people designed uh, their year round. Yeah, and
0: I- I'm even aware in terms of your answer that it reveals a, you know, what um, sociologists would call a a social thickness that Mm -hmm. is um, uh, very unique to a lot of people um, living in individualist Western cultures. There's a sense of community um, uh, every uh, week at Trinity. You talk about the village Um, Mm -hmm. there. There is a sense of um, uh, even a hermeneutic that it's not about me and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus um, that uh, our father is the hour is actually important to y- your prayer, uh, um, which I find um, fascinating because we asked this question and um, Richard Rohr talked about being alone in seminary and reading the scriptures for himself. Um, Renee August, a, a dear friend and an Anglican minister in South Africa. Um, she talked about uh, her grandmother and her, her grandmother in their little home Um, living in the Mitchell Plains, reading her scripture in bed, and that was her first experience. But the fact that you located it um, in this revival setting, I think says a lot about the particular context in which you've experienced, which, I mean, your father is Otis Moss Jr. So you have inherited like a, a... our next question is usually, and this is why I'm hesitant, is usually, um, was the scripture something that turned your world upside down or propped it up as it is? But asking you that just seems a little silly. <laughs> I, I almost, I almost want to ask, when did you realize for the first time that um, actually the this same liberative narrative can be used in Pharaoh's courts, okay. the opposite hmm. way?
2: Hmm. That's, that's a great question. Now, what's funny for, for me since I grew up in in, in a liberation tradition, Mm. I thought it was the norm. So (laughs) I thought that that's the way every church operated, and it it, it doesn't. So I go off to college because I've been insulated because uh, we had this, like I said, very liberative tradition. I'm growing up, I'm hearing, you know, Wyatt T. uh, Walker. Um, My father is good friends with, Andrew Young, you know, he's doing the, yeah. the, the, uh, he, the, the pastoral anniversary days. Um, he's got these connections with all of these civil rights folks. So uh, J- Jesse Jackson is, is, is pretty common for him to come through. For the, My dad was on the board of Operation Push, one of the founders, uh, people for the board. And, and then we had women consistently preaching. So yeah. I mm. thought that was no. normal yeah mm-hmm. then we you know then we had these programs um protest programs i used to joke with my parents it's like i couldn't eat or drink anything because we were always um there was some type of boycott going on so you know <laughs> coke this year you know no no when the anti-apartheid <laughs> work over here think, yeah, yeah over sure years, you know i just thought it was normal so i go to college and i find out that there are multiple denominations now this is really funny because i really thought there were different denominations for people who are white and black folk were just like black church. You know, <laughs> so, uh-huh. You know, and, that's the, and then all of a sudden I it's like, wait a minute, you are what kind of church of Christ now? Um, <laughs> and you church of God, okay, I understand that. But, you know, Jesus, you know, sets the oppressed free with your group. I said, and you know, they're saying, no, we're the only ones making it to heaven. I'm like, really, really? <laughs> Why are you know, who, who, where, where do you come from? Um, So I ended up having a real fascination around origins for particular denominations. You know, yeah. where did you come from and how do people of African descent, how did you get connected and how did your theology um become uh-huh. more empire uh, than it does yeah. out of the underside? Because there are some groups yeah. that have, Uh, more Empire theology, even though they may have anti-Empire liturgy. Right. (laughs) Yeah, wow.
0: Uh,
2: Pentecostals have anti-Empire liturgy all the time. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes they are influenced by Empire theology. It's always been a fascinating piece, Uh, you know, um, uh, in terms of the origins of Pentecostalism is this kind of very, this movement that is just very anti-Empire theologically and in terms of their liturgy, and then it drifts, for some, not all, right. uh, but right. for some, it drifts in the direction of being, hey, we're gonna be, you know, support the empire. Right. Uh, yeah. So for me, it, it, it really shook me. Uh, it shook me because I didn't come out of this conservative tradition, and when I had my first encounter, you know, love my brothers, with the nation of Islam, hmm. uh, and this critique they were making it didn't fit, so they're making a critique about the church, and I was like, "Well, what do you? What whose church are you talking about?" Right. You yeah. know, I was like, um, "That doesn't fit how I grew up, and it doesn't right. fit with uh, even the convention that I was a part of. I'm a life member mm. of the Progressive Convention. Right. So Gardner Taylor was, you know, one of the preaching heroes and the icons of that uh, convention, and uh, wow. Charles Adams, another icon." Mm. Uh, for, for that particular uh, convention, uh, L. Vinchel Booth, and, and these others who were all involve, highly involved, highly involved in transformative culture uh, mm. through, uh, through their work, either in the church or in the, in the academy. So that really, I, I struggled to a degree because I honestly thought uh, that black religion, black radicalism was the norm for black church. And I, and I mm. found out that there were some people who did not operate that way. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: yeah, which is incredible on on so many levels. Australia currently has its first Pentecostal Prime Minister, who is a part of our Liberal Party, which is our Conservative mm. Party, which mm. surprises Americans. But it's because we have a history of um, uh, mm. the workers movement, um, the labor mm. movement in Australia. So um historically, we've been more to to the left, and yet um, this form of Pentecostalism is a Pentecostalism um, exactly as you've described. Uh, I know in the White House at the moment there are Pentecostals who have access yeah, to the great. leader of your oh, nation. Yeah. That's right. um, we're at this incredible <laughs> moment where right. Pentecostalism is having its own Constantinian moment yeah, where right. Pentecostalism has yeah. been able to move from the margins to the center and has found itself quite comfortable and yet um, even Trinity's hospitality. Uh, when I last visit, visited with you lot, um, being in your office. Here is a photo of your parents' wedding day, and um, there is Coretta Scott King. There's Martin Luther King. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember who, who else was in.
2: It was it was the, an engagement the party. It was an uh, engagement,
0: engagement party. Was yeah. it
2: Coretta Scott King? It was the the SCLC um, retreat in Miami, and wow. uh, Dr. King and uh, Coretta Scott King threw the engagement party for my parents uh, oh, wow. along in there. Where you had Fred Shuttlesworth, Hosea uh, wow. <laughs> Williams, um, you know, Bob and Letty Green. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other uh, names in there. But you had essentially the leadership trust for SCLC, uh, and they that was 1966, and they threw... The engagement party it's a surprise um as they wow. were taking a break from uh uh the meeting of what the direction of sclc which would eventually that meeting would lead to what we would know as the poor people's campaign
0: yeah um, right.
2: and so that was one of the one of the gatherings where you know they you know dad popped the question and all that good stuff and then uh and they threw the party for them.
0: that's incredible and drew i'm not sure how you hear these stories but I mean f- for me you could be saying and um uh it, there was superman and there was batman <laughs> like these are these are like mythic like when you talk about like um uh Ella Baker um w- would come visit and uh mm-hmm. um a- Andrew Young and um like the these figures um these are s- superheroes uh and it's actually quite confronting and Vincent Harding had this um, wonderful quote where he talked about that um, this this legacy lays at us uh, great possibilities, but also responsibilities. Mm. Um, uh, Drew, when you hear this stuff, what's your response?
1: Yeah, no, well, it's not Superman and Batman per se, but um, right. but <laughs> enormous. Like, I mean, now I've had the privilege of meeting, like, so so like, I was so blessed to um, meet a couple times, like Fred Shuttlesworth um, before he mm. passed away, so I have a, a picture of him with him um and mm. some others like that but i mean not not in the same i mean this is just it's kind of hard to even fathom right just the just to be surrounded by um just these enormous figures in the community and movements um that's just powerful um so i'm still in awe um it's it's really a powerful testament to to be to have that legacy and to just have made those connections and relationships, um, powerful. Yeah. Mm. Powerful.
0: Otis, I figure that like w- with this great light and even our responses, there's, there's also a shadow to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in a place where you did have access to the greats, um, that, um, I mean, I- I've heard, uh, both at Al- Alfred street, um, and at Trinity, um, Uh, your homily, which is in honour of that sermon which you quoted um, Mm -hmm. that had such an impact on you um, when the brook runs dry, Mm
2: -hmm. um,
0: uh, you have done the work to reintegrate um, and um, have a a deep appreciation yet make it your own. Would you speak a little bit to um, uh, that work and, and, and that journey?
2: Yeah, I, one of the challenges I, I believe in in ministry, in in general, is finding your your own voice, and that's mm. something that you will do for for the rest of your life. Yeah. It becomes even a greater challenge when you have a beautiful shadow near you, mm. um, and it's it's one that has been a, a blessing. Uh, you know the relationship that I have with with my father. Uh, But when you have uh, someone's name, it's always a challenge. One of the reasons that Elijah is Elijah, not Otis Moss Ford, is um, wherever I would go growing up, they're like, oh, you're Otis' son. I'm like, yeah, doggone it, yeah. Um, So, you know, you Mm -hmm. just, it it was always, it was always hanging with you, which could be a blessing and a burden all the time. So finding your your voice. Uh, The beautiful thing is when you have, parents uh, who are so encouraging so loving and do not make a a push for you to uh, you know to 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 follow in your father's footsteps or anything of that nature Wow. so, so my focus had always been I wanted to be a cinematographer i was mm. interested in arts uh, all my life i was athletics and, and movies those are those those are mm. my things um, and I get the athletics from my mother's side of the family, not my father Okay, right. uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Um, but my mom's great athlete, uh, um, wow. just really dancer, swimmer. She was just, yeah, just true, tremendous athlete huh. and, um, really trying to find my way. So I was always trying to do everything to stay away from ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, but I kept being drawn in that direction. Um, in a very roundabout way, in a very roundabout mm. way. So the authenticity of finding your authentic voice just takes time. Um, yeah. mm. And, you know, here I was a deep lover of of movies, um, loved hip hop music, uh, mm. just loved jazz. and uh, And at the same time, I never had this Kind of love-hate relationship with the church because i came out of this wonderful nurturing village and mm. I, I never really had issues with the black church i had issues with churches that had black people in them but didn't respect the black church tradition um mm. <laughs> but i never yeah. had an issue with with that that tradition so um it was not my story to mm-hmm. have this rejection Uh, I just had some critiques that sometimes could be withering in reference to our uh, our theology, and I had to come to grips with what is going to be uh, my voice. So uh, it takes Monica to talk about it. She said, one week when I started preaching, Uh, I would sound like Frank Madison Reed the next week (laughs) I would sound like Gardner Taylor. Then I would sound like Charles Adams, you know, then I would sound like Bishop Bashton McKenzie. And then it was just like, it was just kind of going on and on and on and on. It's like I'm picking up um, until I really kind of settled, started to settle in and what my own voice is. And I sound more and more like my father and, Mm. and I really, Appreciate that. People tell me that all the time. It's like the the greatest concept, but you're very, 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 very different uh, from your dad in in delivery in terms of shape and, you know, what the influences are. Um, Mm. And my sister was, now I really realize it was probably my biggest theological, cultural influence of how I preach because mm. she introduced me to literature and poetry. And wow. um, she's the reason that I love jazz so much. She took me to my first jazz concert to see with Marcellus. Um, and wow. uh, she's just that kind of sister. She was just great. And, and so she helped shape the manner and the way in which I preach that includes um, the things that I love uh, and that I'm comfortable with. Uh, she mm. shaped
1: all that. I can really relate to your story, in some ways, not in some other ways, but I can relate to your story. i come from a line of preachers and pastors. Mm -hmm. um, And so in Philly, um, hearts, lots of Mm -hmm. folks know the hearts. And Mm -hmm. um, now my family, for me, when I went off to college and did biblical studies, um, I came back with a more liberative understanding Mm -hmm. of my faith Mm -hmm. than what I had been formed in. And so um, it was also me trying to figure out how to find my own voice um, yeah. when people knew who I was, you know, they knew my family, my dad and my grandfather, things like that. And so that, that was a whole different kind of process, but nonetheless, still the shadow of, you know, a legacy kind of over, you know, my life and that I had to navigate and kind of figure out how to be Drew um, in the midst of that. So I can partly mm. relate to that. Um, Um, even if it was in a different um, direction of kind of wrestling with that legacy, yeah. Yeah, I can
2: imagine there was probably a strange journey. And, you know, I think for for every person who has a mother or father in ministry, just Mm. struggling to come to find your authenticity. And if you're in a city where people know your parent, it's so annoying um, on one level because you're, you're rolling with your crew and uh, you're having a good time, you're meeting some young lady, and then so, aren't you so and so? Like, yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. You know? <laughs>
1: just, just messes up everything. Right. Right? <laughs> That's why I think I've enjoyed mostly um, living now in Harrisburg, which is not that far away, it's two hours no. away. But most people don't know, you know, every now and then I'll get a random person. Mm-hmm. Oh, I knew your grandfather. But um, but for the most part, you know, I can just kind of be me. But when I go
2: back to Philly, it's a two, um, different it's, story. They know you. Yeah. 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 They know of you. They know your family. They know your right. name. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. That's and that's the way black people operate, because they don't ask you what you do. They want to know who your people are, who you,
0: right? who you are. You know, uh-huh. that
2: southern piece is it's like, yeah, OK, that's nice that you're a minister. But who are you people? Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's powerful. Yeah, as as the son of a a, a migrant um, uh, who moved to Australia in 1972, and um, my mum's from the other side of Australia, so mum's side of the family are Russian Jews, and dad's side are Irish Catholic. My dad was a monk. So the, there's no way that, like, okay. unless I went in that direction, um, and then he he was a nurse, and that's where he met mum. Both mum and dad were nurses. Dad was a part of a nursing order. So once he he left, um, that's the. So I I listen to you both share this, and uh, I hear the richness of it. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm not sure if this is what Paul means by godly jealousy, but um, I, I hear it, and I'm like, wow, the those kind of depth and that kind of connection, that's phenomenal. Um, Drew, did you want to um, ask around? Uh...
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, this kind of tying back to just thinking about your story around scripture um, and your experiences and encounters with scripture, um, wondering like what kind of, um, what from your own experience would you like to give to others as it relates to, encountering and reading and interpreting the Bible um, and what, what, mm. what ways that you can offer to others that are liberative and can have the potential to turn this world upside down.
2: Mm. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, one of the things in terms of how, you know, I've learned to read scripture is one that uh, perspective that Jerome Ross, who was at um, Virginia union uh, for quite some time. And he says, anytime that you are reading scripture, you are reading a, a story, a piece of poetry, uh, from the underside of a people who were under oppression and Dr. Ross walks you through from Genesis to revelation. And he says, what group, uh, was oppressing Israel. And if you read it in that manner, you get a double entendre. Hmm. Uh, and with the double entendre, you hear two different things. And, um, uh, I heard uh, um, uh, uh, one particular scholar uh, talking about, say, for example, if you're talking about the calling of the disciples, uh, where we read it and we tend to spiritualize it. You know, very American. Um, you know, Jesus calls these people and they drop what they're doing to follow Jesus and be fishers of men, which is nice. It's cute. Um, but it is empire in, in its in its focus. But mm. if you flip it, here's the double entendre. The double entendre is Jesus calls, um, you know, two groups, one uh, being uh, a group that is, is poor of a certain class, um, mm. you know, uh, Simon uh, and, and Andrew, um, and then James and John. And what is so powerful is if you look at it from the vantage point that Rome owns the Sea of Galilee,
1: mm-hmm. and that
2: anything you fish is owned by Rome. Uh so if I have, let's just say I have I get 10, I get 10 fish that day. These I pull out all the fish. And let's say five goes to Rome. But remember the tax collectors always have their extra. Um and so they said, you know, I think I want, you know, two more, you know, instead of just the five. I want six and seven. So there you're stuck with three uh Mm -hmm. to feed your family and to and to make money. Uh this happens on both ends uh for Simon Peter and it happens for James and John. And when Jesus calls them, and they put down their nets and follow Jesus. Jesus was literally undercutting the Roman tax system in a Mm. nonviolent direction. So all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, they're checking uh, the paperwork, and they're like, wait a minute. We made more money last year. What's going on? Well, people are following this country preacher named Jesus, and they're not fishing the way they used to fish. Right. Mm. Um, we're losing our labor pool.
1: And yeah. That's, wow.
2: That's this double entendre there that we rarely look at. Or in, in Mark chapter five, uh, one of my favorite scriptures about mm. a man who is demon possessed. We always, again, just solely spiritualize it as demon yep. possession. And it is. There is. The double entendre means that you look at it most, it's not one or yes. the other. It's right. both and.
1: Right.
2: And so... You can spiritualize it. We are legion. But if you look at it through how Mark writes right. he's using military language in, right. the mm. way in which he writes. That's and then right. you have this gentleman, Jesus says, all right, we're going to go to this guy who, you know, lives among the tombs. I'm not supposed to be there because that makes me unclean. Number one. Right. Mm. Then Number two, you have a man. If you look at it from his perspective, you have a man who lives among the tombs in a place that has no economic development has no jobs, um, has no schooling. This is where he lives. He had been incarcerated, has chains around his wrist and also his ankles. He was incarcerated because, uh, not because of crime, but because of mental health issues. So bam, right in the first few uh, verses, you have something to engage in that's Mm -hmm. happening today. Then you have the statement, we are legion, which is a military statement. Right. Yep. We are legion, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning 10,000. But the choice of saying, I want to use Roman military language also is a double entendre where the listener can then hear say, oh, we're possessed by Roman policies, 10,000 of them, but also possessed spiritually by something that is holding on to our spirit. It's the double entendre. It's Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. same way that when black people would sing spirituals right swing low sweet chariot everybody's like oh that's heaven Uh, yeah but we're also talking about tonight we are leaving for freedom and then Mm -hmm. we do a remix when we sing because black people would sing swing low sweet chariot." then they say down by the riverside to Mm -hmm. save the person running away if you want to get away go down by the riverside if the dogs are chasing you then say you know god's going to trouble the water what does that mean it means into go into yeah. the water to get right. rid of the scent of the dog. That's right. Now they are both and, they are both and. Yeah. There, there is the speech of heaven that is a powerful and spiritual and talks about that which is beyond our understanding. But yet mm-hmm. it engages existential that says this is how you get to freedom practically. In America, we don't read scripture that way. Right. We mm-hmm. have a tendency to always read the spiritualized portion in which it is otherworldly. And right. we ignore the fact that Israel was in the midst of an oppressive situation. So they had to learn how to speak. So everybody didn't know what they were saying. That's right.
0: Mm. right. And that both and tradition is such an incredible gift to the world, because often I feel a lot of people have to, um, I'm at a certain Pentecostal, Uh, church um, to be spiritually uplifted. And then I'm at a um, a certain mainline liberal denomination uh, to actually get some intellectual integrity and commentary uh, when it comes to society today. And yet the tradition that like every week at Trinity, the the worship is um, as uplifting as you'd find in um, any conservative place who have actually engineered their service to meet people's needs around a privatized kind of, Um, at Trinity, you get that, but not as an individual and not in a way to lull you to sleep, but as a way to actually call you out of empire. Like the doors of the church are always open at, at Trinity. There is going to be an altar call, um, to, to drop your fishing nets, get out of empire and get in your right mind and follow Jesus. Um, that at itself is like a incredible gift to bring those things together, um, Uh, where experience, intellectual integrity, uh, a social vision, um, uh, an ecological vision. Um, I mean, that's it's one of the reasons why week after week and for inverse listeners, um, uh, join us at Trinity on a for us in in Perth. It's um, uh, either 830 or 930, depending on uh, what time of year it is and daylight savings. Uh, But the the gift of being a part and being formed uh, for, I guess it's three years now, us weekly joining Trinity is you bring together. And literally I've had um, groups, Otis, where I've brought pastors from different denominations in my city to come and watch Trinity together. And then for us to break apart, like, what are the things that are brought together here as a model for how to do ministry in our city? And you doing it is like an incredible
2: gift for, well, the rest of the world. Oh, that is really, really kind, Jared. It, it really is. Um, you know, Trinity is a unique place. Uh, mm. I love the the ministry so very much. you really wonderful people, and from its founding in '61, you know, trying to create a unique space mm. uh, for for people on the south side of of Chicago, and you know, to you know, hats off to to my predecessor and to his predecessor and so on that every person from the founder of Kenneth Smith who kind of laid the foundation um, and and then to uh, this wonderful gentleman uh, by the name of Ruben Shears uh, who set the vision you know they said hey Mm -hmm. this is what we're going to do and then uh, calling uh, Dr. Jeremiah Wright um, yeah, and who's from Philly, uh, of yeah. course, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and,
0: and the, what, what an extraordinary man, like both as a theologian, a preacher, a musician, like what a, yeah, I mean, seeing from Australia, uh, what happened to him publicly, um, mm. uh, that was difficult to watch. I can't imagine how difficult it would have been with proximity.
2: Yeah, it was it was really painful to to see to see how he was treated in the media, but it that's that's par for the course in the U.S. because mm-hmm. the certain Christian Mike uh, mm-hmm. and a certain branch of understanding of what faith is all about has the mic. Though I don't think that they are the norm, um, even though people may find themselves in a more conservative or whatever branch um, I do think that there's a deep well of compassion that runs through uh, you know, most churches, Um, Mm. you know, sometimes it, it it get the water becomes muddy, (laughs) but nonetheless, (laughs) um, I think that there, there is a well of, of, of compassion. And it was interesting that I think the church and Dr. Wright got so much support outside of the U S Yeah, letters and emails. People just were, could not understand. I said, "Well, what you said was, and what you say often is on point." They couldn't yeah. quite understand the uh, fake outrage, and that's, yes, kind of, that's so that. Right. I can explain it. It yeah. uh, was was very, and, very, very, very fake.
0: And particularly if you, um, for any of us with any exposure to the, the witness of Martin King, Martin Luther King's like uh, last sermon that was in the bulletin is why America may go to hell. To hell. That's, That's, right. Right. That's, That's, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. I mean, Pastor Jeremiah Wright was, was merely continuing the legacy of, of, you have a national holiday named after him. That's right. And confusingly like give out awards to, um, uh, uh people in, in that name. So, um, the, the name is, um, denigrated often uh, in the, in terms of what actually happens on, on that day. But, yeah, I found it like as an Australian watching on. It was um, it was painful to see this public crucifixion
2: of um, an incredible pastor. He's a tremendous, tremendous, and he's made it made it through. A tremendous, yeah. uh, gifted, uh, um, you know, individual, um, mm-hmm. and has meant so much uh, to not only our community but so many church communities because yeah. he helped shape. Well, what does pastoral prophetic ministry look like versus just prophetic ministry? Right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well,
0: we'd love to, um, uh, see you work with a text. So uh, we're so glad that you've chosen Isaiah 58 and it's, I mean, for where the conversation has gone already, it's, it's so fitting. Um, but would you walk us through the text in such ways that, um, uh, and, and full permission um, to do that any which way um, you would like to. I'm very aware that like at Morehouse, the um, oratory competition each year is named <laughs> after you and your father. <laughs> like, sometimes uh, you might just want to rest and actually just like talk through it. Like, but um, we're here with you. Um, we're looking forward to having you walk us around in this
2: text and... Uh, mm-hmm. Well, this text really spoke, as we're in the midst of this pandemic, uh, I Mm -hmm. utilized this in uh, preaching the the other Sunday, and Mm -hmm. looked at Isaiah as a prophet and an epidemiologist, uh, someone who is able to examine what infects the spirit, uh, what type of virus infects the spirit. Mm -hmm. And... Isaiah does such a great job of saying, okay, uh, since you all are fasting, <laughs> since you all are utilizing these religious rituals and you are waiting to hear from God, I want to raise a question about what is really infecting the spirit. Um, mm-hmm. And it goes beyond just the uh, 58th chapter, uh, but Isaiah is, is speaking to, uh, to the people about a religion uh, that has no relevance whatsoever. Uh, That here you are involved in all of the ritual, you have the language, you are are observing the Sabbath, Mm. but it has absolutely no impact. Uh, So you exploit your workers, Um, Mm. you are fighting violently with each other, Uh, and then you have the nerve to raise the question, I've been fasting I've humbled myself, and I didn't hear from God. So you've turned the uh, your your faith into a prosperity faith. If I do this, mm-hmm. then you do this because you work for me, God. Right? You're right. supposed to do what I want you to do when I want you to do it. Right. So they're coming out of this market mentality uh, that it is solely transactional. Right. Uh, that my my faith. Is an appendage. Um, and so mm. I, I get a chance to participate in these activities, and God should bless me. And here is Isaiah, who forms the corrective, uh, who is the prophet, the epidemiologist, and says, now let me do an examination on something that has attacked your soul. Mm. So I don't want a religion without any relevance. Uh, and I don't want you to have rituals without relationship. So you can fast all day long. You can sit in your sackcloth and ashes. But that doesn't really mean you have a relationship with me. It means solely that you are just participating in empty ritual. Hmm. And and, and America often participates in empty ritual because America does not know why she is doing what she is doing. Mm -hmm. And you need Mm -hmm. a spiritual epidemiologist to be able to help the nation understand what is infecting the spirit. That's what Dr. Mm. King was doing. Yes, mm. spiritual yeah. epidemiologist. Let yeah. me talk mm. about racism. Let me talk about militarism. Let right. me talk about poverty. You are willing to spend $38 million, I think it was the, uh, uh, the number that he had, uh, on a one bomb. Mm. Uh, but you are barely spend $4,000 on a child in Mississippi That's to right. be educated. Yeah something's wrong, yes. a spiritual epidemiologist. I want to examine what has possessed your spirit. Uh, and you make the claim that of your greatness based on markets, mentality, markets mil- and military. Uh, mm-hmm. We're great because we have a great market. We're great because we have a great military. And here you have Isaiah, and you have a Dr. King, and you have a Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass, and you have a Fannie mm-hmm. Lou who raised the mm-hmm. question, well, what have you done to the poor? Right. Did I not call this fast Uh, so that you would loose the bonds, uh, set Mm. the oppressed free? This becomes the fundamental question of your faith. What kind of impact are you making? Anyone Mm. can participate in a fast, but not everyone will want to dismantle poverty. Anyone can put on sackcloth and ashes, but not everyone Uh, wants to undermine racism. Anyone can do those things. I'm asking Mm. you to do the the hard thing. I wish you the hard thing. And what's crazy in the text is that it says, when you decide to clothe those who are naked, uh, to give shelter to those who are homeless, it says, then you're going to see the light. But it does not say you're going to see, hear from God until you complete these tasks. So your real work right. is when you do this work, then you can hear from me. Mm. Right. I need you to do the work. I need to know that you are my acolytes, that you yes. are lighting the candles for people to see. You can yeah. only see the light when that happens. And, and when I preached this, I talked about, I, kind of, I closed with the idea that there is a vaccine, the, the name of the message. Mm-hmm. Word, a vaccine uh, for a nation that had been affected by a spiritual virus. And I said that there is a vaccine. You don't want to hear me sit there talk about this, the virus the whole time. Um, but there is a vaccine. And the vaccine is the action that Isaiah speaks about. Hmm. And when we do that, light breaks forth. We can see God's word. And I use the example of what was happening in Illinois and in New York, that there is some hmm. light breaking forth. Here in Illinois, we, we ran out of hand sanitizer nationwide. Right. And so there, there's, there's, wow. there's a vodka distillery here in Illinois. They stopped making vodka and shifted their operations to making hand sanitizer. Mm. At one point we were getting people drunk and now we're getting mm. people clean. I mean, that, that just, just was so beautiful <laughs> And yeah. then in New York, there was a gentleman who was a landowner in one of the, uh, the high rent districts where uh, there was property for a variety of restaurants where he said, As long as this pandemic is going on, you shall not pay rent, pay your workers. And that was the statement he made. He said, pay your workers. And Mm -hmm. the one that got me was in, it's on Broadway, the costume designers call the governor and say, we know we're short on masks. We're we're costume designers on Broadway. We will make them for Mm -hmm. free. That's our job. As we're listening to Hamilton, you know, I'm not gonna throw away my shot. We're gonna make masks for the hospitals. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was just—it was just a beautiful story of seeing God's light right. uh, show forth, and and I closed out talking about the uh, the um, uh, wonderful thing that a gentleman named Derek Jones did on Instagram. Derek Jones, is better known as D Nice from the Boogie right. Down Bronx, right. and he had <laughs> club quarantine. Um, right. Here he was mm. in his house, and he is DJing, and. Almost hundred thousand people show up to this party. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um everybody from Eric Sermon was there from EPMD for old school hip mm-hmm. hop. Showed up for uh, <laughs> the <that's> Right. Rihanna <laughs> was there, Who <laughs> Hart was there, <laughs> you know. Um you had Michelle <laughs> was there. Yep, that's, um, right. that's um, right. You know, yeah. Bernie Sanders showed up, Joe Biden showed up, um <laughs> <Delphine> <laughs> Monica were there. All of us were there in this party this club quarantine party that he was bringing some light, some joy. And, yeah. and I said, you know what, I see God being a divine DJ. That there yeah. was from a time, you know, when we had the opportunity to go back to church, when this pandemic was over, um, where, you know, we're going to have to get a DJ, uh, Jared and Drew, uh, for our church. And we're going to have to have some folks mm. here, uh, Frankie Beverly, uh, Happy Feelings, <laughs> Uh, some other people are going to want to hear Common, The Light. A few people are going to hear the Chance the Rapper, Sunday Candy. Come on, uh, yeah. there's going to be A couple of people who want to hear like Stevie. Of course, Song's going to keep life. There's going to be your Luther people. They're going to be your Whitney folks. They're going to be your the people, your Marvin. Uh, and everybody's going to, there's going to be a few people who want to hear James Brown do his holler. But then there will be uh, some of our elders and our saints who are going to want to hear the Songs of Zion. They're going to want to hear I Know It Was the Blood. And somebody's Mm. going to remix it with the blood will never lose its power. Someone's going to have to say, I need thee every hour. Mm. I need thee. Someone's going to have to say that uh, the Lord will make a way somehow. Mm. Um, And in the midst of all of that, uh, we get a chance and an opportunity to see the light breaking. This amazing diversity of, of individuals and generations where we can witness the work of God. And that's what Isaiah is saying, you want to see my light? Do my work and, and mm. want me drop some songs in your spirit. Because yeah, Isaiah well. is speaking poetry that can be spoken word or you can sing it. That's and right. so mm-hmm. he's literally giving a song and poetry at the same time mm. uh, that my prescription is for you to repeat my words so the generations not yet born will know then he goes on to talk about the sabbath and all, i mean it's just it's a beautiful text yeah a beautiful text. yes it is is uh, that that we are in where we have incompetent leadership uh, that's right uh, that <laughs> is falsely claiming that it loves the lord um, mm-hmm. but it really has an idolatry of the market first more mm-hmm. than anything else uh, right. it's it is capitalism with ecclesiastical garments is what we are Oof. witnessing. And, mm. and, and we have to have voices that are willing to speak with authority and power about the love and compassion that needs to be injected if we are to get rid of the virus that's infecting our spiritual body. Yeah, Drew, so you, you can
0: see now why I was up out of my couch on Sunday night, right? Like <laughs> it, it, it was, it was fire. It was fire.
1: Yeah, I imagine. No, that's, that's so timely. Um, and you think about what's going on right now. I mean, just this past couple of days, you got politicians willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. our elders.
2: Yes, to the capitalist that's right. system. Right. That's yes. right.
1: And, and then you got silence by so many folks in the church. I mean, it's precisely i yep. talking about this kind of transactional rituality, right? Yeah. That rather than that kind of transformational religion that would speak back mm. and have a prophetic witness to what was going mm-hmm. on. I mean, it's just crazy um, the, the, the emptiness and, and at the same time, which I think connects to this passage, it's precisely that it's not that the Christians who are, we'll, we'll call them imperial theologians, right? It's not that they're not devout it's not mm, that yeah. they aren't passionate, they're passionate, but they're just missing the points, right yeah to love their neighbor to yeah, do justice to love mercy to let water to to let righteousness roll down like waters, um justice mm. and righteousness to roll down like waters and so it this this word this poetry it's it's timely for our society it is it's, yeah. it's a diagnosis for our times right now
0: and I mean this is the confronting thing about verse two. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways.
1: Right.
0: As if they were a people that so does what is right. Connection.
1: Here
2: we go.
0: Okay. Oh, I'm back. Just verse two, like, uh, Howas has that like ripper line where he talks about, um, uh, sincerity has nothing to do with discipleship.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We were talking earlier on about revivals. Um, I mean, th- this sounds like a a pretty good revival meeting. Day after day, they seek me out.
2: That's right. Like that's, that's right.
0: um, there, there's a lot of sincerity here. There's a lot of sincerity um that they seem eager to know my ways. I mean, um for for a lot of us pastoring um w- we would want that to be a description of our, the climate, the spiritual climate of our congregations mm-hmm. is that right. they are seeking out God and seem eager to know. My ways. And the confronting thing about this text is that the, the hypocrisy isn't um, so much uh, that, that it's, it's not sincere, but it's just not connected to any of the fruits of what Sabbath was about. Otis, when, mm-hmm. when you talked about Pentecostalism's um, uh, liberative liturgies as a real possibility, um, how do we unlock that in ways that um, what is there that could release people to actually be a force? for healing justice instead of, um, uh, playing chaplain to, uh, the systems that oppress my, my, like my. it's, it's confront. And I, I love, and the, the way you brought this home in, in your clothes, Otis. like, I, um, I, I get so much out of y- your ministry, but watching the, um, uh, the poetry and, um, uh, the, the art of, of what, you do and because the irony is that what what people desire in these meetings in verse two in in verse eight it seems to go back and say you will get it right you just go on about it the wrong way like right the light right. will break and the the brilliance of where you um led us on on sunday <laughs> even though there's just like a, a a few people social distancing in the congregation <laughs> <laughs> because, because every, everybody is like um, it's, it's the first time where uh, um, being, being a part of Trinity United Down Under, as you refer to us, that we're in the same situation as everybody else, right? Like we're, right. we're watching our screen. But where you took us that, like um, those needs to experience God, they will be met if we take seriously um, everything that this passage is talking about.
2: It's so it's so true. It, it 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 is so true that God is calling us to um, be sincere and disciple at the same time. Yeah. I love that I love that statement. Yeah. Um, it, and if we are to unlock the the, the Pentecostal power, mm-hmm. uh, what I love about Pentecostalism because um, and I always say that I have uh, Pentecostal um you know, I'm a Pentecostal, uh, you know, so much in my, in my spirit mm. that Pentecostalism um, allows you to uh, make, let spirit always trump doctrine in every way. Spirit mm. trumps doctrine in, in, in every single way. So <laughs> I love the way that uh, somebody explained it this way. That if you're a Pentecostal minister and you believe that women can't preach, but if a woman comes to you and says they've been called by the Spirit to preach, you can't say they haven't been called to preach. <laughs> even, though <you're> not, <laughs> even though your <laughs> doctrine yeah, says she right. can't yeah. preach. <laughs> so you just say, well, maybe not at my church. So you'll just have to go and set up a church. I find that undercutting aspect so powerful. Mm. And that's what Seymour. Uh, recognized That's right. uh, mm. when when the founding of the movement. I mean, it was an anti racism, anti sexism, anti classism mm. movement. Mm-hmm. And he died deeply heartbroken because he said the yes. spirit did everything, but it wasn't able to dismantle this thing called racism. That's right. Because yes. racism was the real God for a certain people. Right. Uh, yep. And he came under the assumption. We all serve the same God, but we just have some fences that we've built. The spirit has to uh, tear down. He yeah. comes to the conclusion, "Oh, you're worshiping a different God. Hmm. Now I understand what's going on hmm. while we were able to break down sexism in our group, able to break down the issues of classism in our group, this other group from Northern California that you know stole our you know, list of people. Uh, hmm. they did, you, didn't, you didn't worship the same God we worship.
1: Um, and it yes. took a hundred
2: years for them to apologize. <laughs> so right, from the right. moment that the movement started, it took a hundred years for them to recognize their founder was a disenfranchised black man. Um, yep. The spirit took a hundred years for them just to say, by the way, we were wrong. Um, mm-hmm. That's a pretty, wow. You know, the spirit is moving, but it, you know, it's moving very slowly. Um, but Pentecostalism <laughs> has, the is probably one of the most dangerous forces worldwide,
1: yeah. because if it
2: becomes mm. prophetic and Pentecostal, there's nothing that no yeah. government, no organization could ever do to stop. Yes, it, yeah. it is utterly a force that cannot because it becomes uh, not um, a virus that infects, it becomes a spirit uh, that mm. takes over.
0: That's right. Now, if
2: you stop by a border cannot be stopped by a wall, cannot be stopped by language, cannot be stopped by race, gender, nothing. People will take hold of this spirit, and it will change the world. And if Mm -hmm. Pentecostalism connects to the prophetic witness, that will change this world. I firmly believe it. It will literally turn the world upside down. And instead of saying the global south, we'll be talking about the Mm. We view, how we view the world yeah. um and our maps will look different we'll flip them upside down uh literally uh and that's how we will look at the world yeah. uh, from, yeah. we will not look at it from uh the cartographer from europe right. we'll look at it the car- mm-hmm. cartographer from south america right. uh, yes. from south africa that's the way we uh-huh. will view the world pentecostalism is is as
1: dangerous
2: as it comes that's right yes that's right and I wonder
0: if part of that, that danger and part of this moment, as we were talking about like Pentecostalism having its own Constantinian movement uh, mm-hmm. or moment, um, that part of the danger is if we have power and that power isn't cruciform, if that power isn't the, the nonviolent power that we see at Calvary, mm-hmm. um, uh, that we will have um, spiritual uh, ecstatic experiences, which actually start to accompany pharaoh instead of move us into the place where miriam and moses are leading a revolution um and that's why i think the trinity is is such a incredible gift and how generous you are um, to to be like um unashamedly uh, black and unapologetically christian we were talking beforehand drew and i that there, there are these deep roots that you know who you are in Christ, that hospitality, because you've gone so deep, can go so wide. Mm. I've never been so generously welcome anywhere that I've been at Trinity um, over and over every time I've like um, to the point that like uh, I feel like emotional or talking like it, it was um, the most gospel welcome I've ever experienced um, anywhere. And um what I, what I love about uh, Trinity as a space, what I love about um, uh, uh, when we're down in um, Tennessee um, uh, with Marion Wright-Elderman and um, uh, the Proctor uh, I- experience is that hospitality is shared with everyone. There is a real sense that everybody has something to share. Um, you might um, uh, be, I love your language, Otis, a returning citizen um, from prison. Um, uh, or, or you might have a, a PhD, but everybody is going to be welcomed in such a way that um, you have dignity, you have something to share. Um, and th- there's a sense of responsibility in that as well. You can encourage someone. You might have a word for someone. Uh, you, uh, you have a ministry here as well. That's phenomenal. That, like that's, that's a different kind of power to the kind of power that wants proximity to um, coercive power. Uh, that sees the world changing from on top instead of from underneath. Um, uh, a talk of a kingdom that hasn't been inverted is just another empire.
2: Mm. Oh, well, we, we appreciate that so much, uh, Jared, but it, it's the gospel. It's what. Amen. And, and yeah. it is not unique. I mean, there's yes. so many churches that, you know, that that's, you know, that's what happens. That's, that's what default. Happens. Yep. God, are you welcome? That's just a part of, of, of the community. And, and and the culture and that's one of the things I've always loved about uh, the church, uh, especially uh, the Black church tradition that I that I grew up in. And witnessing whether you're at a church with like you know 15 people, there's like mm. this you know family vibe that can be created. Um, whether you're or in a church that has you know 5,000 people, it has the same community village vibe that's yes. just something yeah, yeah. that many communities uh, especially people of african descent in creating these communities that's that's that was a part of preaching you know can mm-hmm. we can we welcome you can we love yeah. you because adopting someone as family is as african as it comes you know, yeah. uh, if, you know that's that's what you do. I mean, the folks love yeah. Jared. By the way, you know, it's, yeah. really, it's really hilarious. Sure. It's so sure. when people go to Australia, they're like, uh, "Can can we can we get connected with Jared?" I said, yes, "Are you going?" Can. She said, "I have no idea where I'm going. I'm just just Sydney." I said, "Well, I don't think he's in Sydney, um, but you did." <laughs> <can call me. laughs>
0: well, um, and w- one of the incredible gifts has been when uh, Trinity people come to be able to connect them, um, connecting some of your friends to. Um, Aboriginal elders like Uncle mm-hmm. Ray Minicon, who means so much yeah. to me. And even uh-huh. when they went to Sydney and I'm in Perth, on the other side of the country, I've been able to connect family with family and uh, to, to sit at the feet of um, our Uncle Vincent Harding's. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, th- that's that's an in- incredible gift. So I've, th- I mean, that's blessed me to see those people connecting for me. Yeah.
1: You know, I was thinking... I was thinking about um, Jared talking and then your response about the black church. One thing that I do, so every fall I teach an African-American theology course at Messiah. And um, because mostly, I mean, I have mostly white evangelical students. is the majority of the students' uh, mm-hmm. student body. And so one of the things I always want to do is um, get them into black churches. And so Harrisburg is only 20 mm-hmm. minutes away. That's where I live. And so every fall I send them, they have to visit one AME church one Black Baptist Church, one Church mm-hmm. of God in Christ Church. And, and ahead of time, they're always nervous, right? These Because mm-hmm. they've never stepped foot in a Black church. Most of them probably never stepped foot in a Black community, to be honest. <laughs> and then, um, so I tell them ahead of time, don't worry, you're going to be fine. you can going to be loved on, blah, blah, blah. And then they come back the following week, and then they're like, oh my goodness, I've never been loved on so much as mm-hmm. I was. Like They say not even my own home church loved on yep. me like these churches did and they say for every single church um that they yeah. attend um that that was their experience and so um i've so then i usually wish my my line that i always give to them is um if the black church has ever erred, it hasn't been on loving white people like we've always been able <laughs> to love maybe we've loved them too much but but it hasn't been that we haven't uh loved black uh, white folks but but i say but you guys are imagining that you're going to treat that you're going to get treated like we were treated in your churches and wow. that's the false perception mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that um, that mm-hmm. we don't necessarily reciprocate um, the way that we've been treated in, in those spaces.
0: Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Well, Otis, I, I'm aware of the time, ta- I mean, we will literally do this as long as you want to do this, but um, <laughs> I did see Melody p- pop on. Um, I was wondering if that was her checking to see uh, that <laughs> we, we haven't yeah. taken too much time <laughs> a- away. On, on that, with what Drew was saying um, uh, and, and p- permission for you to um, allow this to be the close, <laughs> um, uh, we were talking about um, th- those of us who um, have the option of giving up our ancestry to just become white, um, mm-hmm. there is a danger in relating to this both and tradition uh, that calls for um, personal relationship and a public vision of a gospel that's good enough for all of creation and gives dignity to all of god's children that it becomes fetishized it becomes something that um uh, is related to as a, a, a gimmick or um uh, i mean the um the dangers of appropriation um are very real as a flip side of um, the rejection or the um, humiliation that white supremacy often responds to um, black culture generally in the black church and community. Um, uh, As my pastor from afar, um, what advice uh, do you have for those of us who uh, uh, might be listening to this and want to start joining Trinity online um uh, to, to relate in such ways that um uh honor and um uh value and give respect to the incredible hospitality that you are showing in your prophetic witness
2: oh, i appreciate it jared i i think that one of the things that uh, that i would say to to everyone is to to revel and hold uh your ethnicity your mm. culture. Uh, but and notice and would, would you
0: break down the difference between ethnicity and sure. race
2: sure, absolutely so, so race is just this completely arbitrary socially constructed idea uh, that that one group is this and another group is is that um, mm. ethnicity that you 're talking about your your cultural roots your your connectivity through your family and traditions that are passed down, um, your language and your songs. Um, mm. I say it this way to people in the United States. I did a, uh, did a piece. I said, you all are only white because I'm in the room. Once I leave, you then become <laughs> right. German and Jewish. Right. And all of a sudden, you become, eth- you become ethnic. And for people in the United States, they, they lose their whiteness when they go to Europe because they don't say, hey, white people, welcome. Um, mm-hmm. They raise the question about your national origin." Um, that you, you pick, and I was trying to really get them to the point to where you're understanding understand you pick it up when it works for you, um, mm-hmm. and then you're willing to put it down when you feel safe, um, mm. and, you know, there is a way that you can, you hold on to, to your ethnicity, to your family story, and all of the beautiful uh, and sometimes challenging pieces of your family story, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. but your, your whiteness is just something that a structure, uh, a hegemonic structure just said, hold on to this essentially, so you do not connect with people of African descent. F- to, do not connect with indigenous people. You do not uh, connect with uh, those who are, uh, who are first world folks. Uh, so you disconnect yourself from this community and see the commonality um, that we share and especially the gospel allows us to, uh, to share together. And mm. and I said to Jim Wallace, and it was I believe it was at uh, where uh, Drew and I met for the first time uh, mm. that I said he he was talking about this idea of, of whiteness. He said the only way that he could become a Christian is to to lose his whiteness. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that uh, uh, that once that that happens, he can meet Jesus for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you hold on to it, and I believe, and this is really from Gardner Taylor, those who have been disenfranchised um, and disinherited uh, in the American system, uh, allow people to see the gospel in a way that they can't in their own community because they're literally blinded uh, by the whiteness. Uh, yeah. And That's, I think, the powerful thing is what Drew was saying, sending students to an AME church, to a church of God in Christ, to a Baptist church, that all of a sudden they got a chance to see themselves in a very different way. Uh, They were confronted by a lie (laughs) because they were nervous. They were confronted by a lie. And they said, well, the lie is not true. And something probably was embedded in each of those students that was breaking a wall uh, that allows us to truly be revolutionary. And that's what yeah, Jesus well. did. He was always breaking down barriers. I'm going uh, to uh, the tombs. I'm going to deal with this woman who has an issue of blood. I'm mm. going to deal with this Samaritan woman who's going <laughs> to demand that I heal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and we have to have the same type of spirit. So yes. I say to you all, please join mm. us we, we don't. We haven't perfected anything. Um, I appreciate Jared's kindness, um, but we're just a community of of people who have been broken, um, mm. but recognize that there's somebody who can fill every crack upon the brokenness uh, that uh, that we have on in our spirit. And I believe mm. that this particular tradition that we flow from has so much to offer to the world. I believe. That's right, yeah. That's right. Yeah, And, uh, oh, and I believe that uh, just as if you love Marvin Gaye and his music <laughs> speaks to you, he offers something to the world. Aretha mm. does. And I say mm-hmm. that because part of their songs are songs right. that come from this tradition. That's, That's right. right. You know, if you love, you know, your hip hop, these are poetry that comes out of this cultural tradition. Yeah. That's right. And it's saying something that we can't quite Put our finger on, I'm talking about the modality of it. Yep. Um, mm. and, and that's why so many people around the world connect with this music, yeah. whether it is soul, R&B, hip hop, jazz. It's oh my gosh, it's saying something that we have not been allowed to say. Um, mm-hmm. And it's scratching at the surface of how we can break free uh, yeah. as, as a people, as human beings. yes, We can be particular And then all of a sudden, we become universal in the process. Yeah. Uh, And that's what I I love about uh, when you decide to revel in your story. You find out that your story is just like everybody else's. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener.
0: And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.